This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. In our first show for 2024, we are talking today with Caroline Brennan, who works with CRS's emergency response team. Uh, CRS is Catholic Relief Services. It's the U.S. Bishop's Overseas Aid and Development Agency. It is based in our own hometown of Baltimore. In her role, she works across the world in areas affected by humanitarian emergencies to provide communication support in the rapidly changing context. This includes capturing stories and supporting local partners in their communication efforts. Uh, She's been working most recently with CRS's emergency response to the humanitarian crisis in the Holy Land uh, via Cairo. We are speaking with her from uh, Chicago, though, today. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, so we we see in the news all the time what's going on in Israel and Gaza. Uh, Ukraine has kind of gotten pushed to the back burner, but we still hear about that a lot. But there's a lot more going on in the world. Um, and so I want to talk to you about some of those places. But Let's start with the Holy Land. You know, we know that that's been going on since the Hamas attacks in in October, early October. We know that there's a lot of humanitarian needs that that many supplies were not getting into the Gaza Strip, uh, and so Palestine Palestinian civilians were not being assisted. Uh, what is CRS's role uh, in that area, and and how do you help? Well, no, it's just so heartbreaking to see just how the situation has escalated and intensified in these past few months, especially as we just celebrated Christmas for many of us um, in the Holy Land. And um, so what CRS has been working in the Holy Land for many, many years, we have offices in Ramallah and East Jerusalem in Gaza um, and uh, in the West Bank. And when this crisis started in October, uh, we had 51 colleagues inside Gaza. We still have 49 Gazan colleagues inside the territory. And then of course, colleagues across the region. And it's and on all sides, it's absolutely horrific and devastating what is happening. Um, and for the civilians inside Gaza, we have been ramping up humanitarian assistance provided to those who have been displaced, which is now about 85% of the Gazan population. And just two days ago, the United Nations announced that there is literally no safe place in Gaza. There's nowhere to go. Um, There are no safe shelters to take cover. Um, There's no safe place as a family provider to ensure that your children are protected. Um, You're literally just in harm's way in any direction that you turn. And I guess there's there's not a lot of option to to move out into Egypt or other areas either, right? Not uh, no, unless you have a foreign passport. No, you're not moving outside of Gaza. So you're you're trapped really. And uh, the the abundance of aid that is needed, um, that is just, you know, beyond reach. Right, um, right. It is enormous. And so all of our colleagues are displaced inside Gaza, and yet at the same time, they're responding. So we've been able to provide 
cash assistance, um, which we were able to do since the earliest days of this conflict because it's an electronic form of programming, which you can do by SMS. And mm -hmm. so we had already been supporting extremely vulnerable families in Gaza through this cash assistance that we were able to continue. And then over the past couple of months have ramped up the distribution the, through Egypt um, of bedding supplies, um, shelter needs are enormous, and then hygiene supplies. And then of course, food, mm -hmm. ready to eat food. We're working with the World Food Program to distribute food as well that we are procuring in Egypt. Um, and just last week, a famine, uh, the risk of famine was uh, announced for Gaza, given the severe uh, shortage of food. Um, and it's such a risk, not only to be deprived of food, to not have that nutrition, but to go out and get it. Um, because to stand in line for hours in Gaza is just for bread. Uh, you're standing, you know, outside where things can happen. Right. Um, so at in every turn of the effort to just feed yourself and feed your families, it's a constant risk and people are really being deprived of just basic nutrition. How do you ensure the movement of those material goods in a basically in a war zone? I mean, how do you do that without risking the lives of your drivers and your and your support personnel? Mm -hmm. But how do you make sure that it goes to the people who need it? It's really, it's an enormously challenging context. We um, do assessments like we are in, in the context, our colleagues are working with the communities within the shelters where they are displaced to identify the greatest needs first. It is organized before uh, the trucks come in. Um, we have a new office in Rafa, which is the lowest city, the most southern city in Gaza. Um, our previous city, our previous office was further north. Um, we now have a new established office with an adjacent warehouse um, and security for that. Um, and it's organized. Um, so our Gazan colleagues who, again, are among those displaced and working are setting up uh, the, the process of distributions in advance, the registration. There are always abilities for people to um, ask questions or we have hotlines for people who are in need of help. But the organization is set up by colleagues at the front. Um, it's a collaborative effort with uh, the government on the Egypt side and the UN coordination body. As you are going in, it's a very uh, coordinated system um, with the United Nation of who can arrive when, um, which trucks are moving at what time, um, so that there's not uh, any confusion of, of who is coming in and how things are being organized. So on the inside, it is as organized as possible in the in the challenging context where people can know what to expect, which is really important, um, and how to, to navigate that process. Do you work with other Catholic or in, and other nonprofit organizations such as Catholic Near East Welfare Association? We spoke to a couple of folks from Skaniwa, you know, um, earlier, you know, a few months ago, uh, as things were going on there. Are, are you working with other groups to, to make sure that you're not duplicating efforts and that you're coordinating? Yes, that's a big part of humanitarian response in general is that coordination. You never want to be duplicating one area and then leaving out another. So there's a built-in coordination already that exists through the UN system where all of the agencies that are able to be respond and are present are coordinating amongst themselves on who is working where, um, you know, making sure that those who are um, 
that people who are in greatest need aren't left out of that reach of assistance, but then also internally as our own organization working with local partners. So we work with 13 local partners in Gaza um, and then more partners across the region in the West Bank and the region. And um, we are working with the missionaries of charities and other Catholic partners inside Gaza. Um, they are now sheltering thousands of people in their shelters and supporting what they need. If it's the provision of supplies to provide for those taking shelter um, in their compounds um, and, and other needs that they might have for support. So a lot of our work takes place, in fact, through our local partners. So that coordination is, is integral and they are truly the ones who know best what is needed in the right. communities. They are of these communities and, and they inform us, you know, the context of how is appropriate to carry out um, certain um, operations, especially in a, in a fluid environment. Yeah. And they, they know what resources are available locally. I remember uh, working with uh, Catholic Relief Services folks in Haiti and they said, you know, it's great for people to try to send us rice, but it's really hard to transport that. If you send us the money, we know where to buy the rice locally and that supports local farmers and it, and it cuts down on the shipping costs and all of that. So I would imagine that your local partners know where to get what they need if it's available. That's right. I'm so glad you raised it because cash is so, so important in a humanitarian response when there are goods in the market, like you were just describing in Haiti, because not only are you supporting that local economy, you're not bringing in goods that will then lose the business of a local shop owner. You never want to displace that local economy. You want to support it. And so when there are goods available, providing cash one, injects it into the local economy. You're supporting the local business, the local markets, but you're also allowing people that flexibility of choice. They may not need rice. They might need medicine. So by giving them that cash, you have people who have different needs and they can choose. So it's great when there are markets functioning and there are goods in the market. And when there are not, like we're seeing an absolute decline in the food supply, then providing that ready to eat food and nutrition or cooking sets. People are now living in shelters where they don't have kitchens to cook and right. of their own. And so you balance those those needs based on that local context. And that's, I think, the key about Catholic Relief Services and other organizations like that, that you have the connection to the local folks, the people on the ground. Certainly some of your own people, your own employees are there on the ground. Uh, they're, they're either native to the area or they've been living in that area for a long time. But I think one of the keys is that you know what the needs are and you know what's available and you're able to balance that with whatever else you know needs to be done so i think that's one of the strengths that crs has always brought to uh to the table when it when it comes to this that's right you know we always say there's no one size fits all to emergency response you can't have for example a fabricated house model that works in kenya that would then work in the philippines we don't everything has to be localized to that place what are the local materials here what are the local needs what a community in one part of a country might be completely different than another and have different needs um in the same emergency or crisis the cultural needs would be different too as well. Exactly. What their preferences are, the gender issues of gender are so important, especially for women in many countries where privacy is such an issue. And um, in many parts of the world where you are displaced and as a woman, you have a heightened risk or vulnerability when you don't have privacy um, because of just the cultures of where you are living. And so all of those dynamics are really important to consider. And as you were noting, a majority of our staff are from the countries where we work. It's at least 90% to 95%. So when you were in Haiti, I imagined you met many of our Haitian staff. And that 
Sure did. The deep bench of knowledge and wisdom and, and experience that is unparalleled. Exactly. Well, we have been talking with Caroline Brennan, who is Director of Emergency Communications for Catholic Relief Services. And when we get back after the break, we're going to talk about what's going on and what CRS is doing in other parts of the world where there are particular crises. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. The Sisters of Life and the Knights of Columbus will team up for a second year to host Life Fest in conjunction with the National March for Life in Washington in January. The event will be held January 19th at the 10,000-seat D.C. Armory in southeast Washington prior to the march, which begins around 1 p.m. along Constitution Avenue. The march will be the second following the U.S. Supreme Court's overturn of Roe v. Wade in 2022 and the return of abortion policymaking to the states. Life Fest will include Mass celebrated by Knights of Columbus Supreme Chaplain Archbishop William E. Lurie of Baltimore and Cardinal Sean P. O'Malley of Boston, as well as a Eucharistic healing procession. Doors will open for Life Fest at 6.30 a.m. on the day of the event. Worship begins at 7 a.m. with the event culminating in Mass at 9.15 a.m. In other news, leaders of the Maryland Catholic Conference say the state will face another big push for physician-assisted suicide when the 2024 General Assembly session begins January 10th. Catholic Church teaching opposes the practice because it does not respect life from conception to natural death. Jenny Kraska, MCC Executive Director, said many factors are working against the church's position and that it will be important for those who oppose the practice to contact their legislators. For more on these stories and the latest news, subscribe to the Catholic Review's e-newsletter by texting WMET to 84576 or visit catholicreview.org. For everyone at Catholic Review Media, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We are back on Catholic Review Radio, and we are talking with Caroline Brennan, who works with Catholic Relief Services Emergency Response Team. She works across the world in areas affected by humanitarian urgencies to make sure that the communications are all kind of in place and, and ready to do that. Caroline, we talked before the break about what's going on in uh, Israel and Gaza, especially in Gaza and the humanitarian aids there. But that's not the only place where there are crises that that CRS is working on. Uh, what are some of the other uh, highlights or lowlights, uh, you know, as it were, the, the places that that really need CRS's attention right now? I'm very glad you asked because so many crises do get the attention they deserve. Um, and then so many others that are of equal intensity or danger or risk are off the map um, and off our radar. And we call them, we often refer to them as silent emergencies, but they're really catastrophic in some levels. And I know we're all coming off the heels of the New Year's holiday and there's so much to celebrate, um, but it's also a, a time of the year when people are facing circumstances that completely change the trajectory of their lives beyond their control. Um, and it can be one moment of time, like an emergency that just sets off ripple effect for years. And so where we're seeing some of these crises are in a few key areas and around a few key issues. And one of those is 
hunger. So there is what has been referred to over the past year among many in the humanitarian space as a global hunger crisis, and which is referring to the numbers of people that have reached unprecedented levels who are actually at heightened levels of hunger and malnutrition that we haven't seen at this scale across the world. And it's due to a few reasons. Um, one is the severe intensity of weather, the drought conditions that have really ravaged crops from East Africa and Somalia to Guatemala and Honduras and Central America. But there's also the impact of conflict and war. Mm -hmm. and, and we really see in these times how interconnected our world is. A, a, a war in Ukraine can cause starvation in another part of the world. And that's what we're seeing in Somalia and in many places in East Africa. Right. I think we heard very early on in the war in Ukraine that, you know, Ukraine was a, a huge supplier of wheat all around the world. And, you know, people might not have thought of that before, but that, you know, the war disrupts all of that. Is that similar in other some of the other areas where you're working? Yes. So uh, in Somalia and East Africa, which are severely affected by both drought, but also the lack of that type of produce coming from Ukraine, uh, we're seeing levels of hunger that are just extremely high and malnutrition that are very high and uh, truly life-threatening and at risk, as they've said for Somalia, of famine in the coming year if more aid is not provided. And um, in, in Central America as well, where the drought has just ravaged areas, um, you're seeing the impacts of that hunger, both on levels of nutrition, but then the decisions that families are forced to make, which is to migrate uh, or to find other places to go for food. And in the context of hunger, we often think of it as a lens of just the severe malnutrition, but oftentimes that what is referred to as food insecurity is caused by a few factors. And it can be one, the lack of food, lack of food growing where you are, lack of nutritious food. But the other can be lack of access. You might live in a place of severe conflict where maybe there is food down the road at your local market, but you're at risk if you leave your house to go and get it mm -hmm. because of severe conflict. Or it could be that you've reached such a state of malnutrition that the food you eat is not something that can be absorbed by your body anymore. You need nutritional supplements to actually absorb that food. So you have these different layers of hunger and food insecurity that you're trying to address that are different in each context that might require nutritional supplements like that is urgently needed in East Africa right now where levels of malnutrition are so severe, they're extremely life-threatening. And then you might need other issues like addressing the crops and farmland in other parts of the world, Southern Africa, Central America, that can help farmers restore their degraded lands. There actually is nutrition available in their local markets. And then also addressing issues of displacement or conflict that have separated people from that nutrition and separated them from their families. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot... Uh in the US about food insecurity, especially in, in lower income neighborhoods where, you know, they, they don't have access to uh, a lot of grocery stores with fresh food and fresh produce and things like that. The food insecurity you're talking about is a, is another whole level, right? I mean, it's, it's, as you say, they they don't even have enough nutrition to get by. I, I know it on, on uh, something on your website that half of the children in Somalia are expected to be acutely malnourished this year. That's a different level of food insecurity than we're talking about here in the U.S., which is terrible in and of itself, but it's different. It is different when you have no meal now and for the rest of the day or tomorrow, but there's no meal to come. Like there's just nothing 
there, those hunger, we know what it's like to be hungry, to miss a meal. And your, your mind starts thinking about it and it starts affecting your mood and all of these things, but to go without for such an extreme level of time. I, I spoke with a woman in Ethiopia once about what it felt like to be hungry, like to, to really hungry. And she said, you just feel like you've lost your power. She said, I, I have no power to stand. I have no power to think you lose your power. And so that disability and the effect on stunting and issues that affect the rest of your life, if you're a child that doesn't have enough nutrition. So it is different, um, which is why nutritional supplements are a huge part of the programming that is taking place in Somalia, as well as the ability for people to address the root causes of hunger. That's a big part of this response this year, especially that we're trying to call attention to is not to not only meet the life-saving needs and find us in the cycle of talking about this issue again and again, but to address the root causes with degraded land, to be able to help farmers have sustainable solutions and nutritious solutions that they can grow where they are and not feel the need to leave or to migrate somewhere else and to have what they need to like, not only survive, but to thrive. So that that two-pronged response is a very big part of our effort for this year in 2024. You know, we hear a lot in the news about, you know, the two million uh, Palestinians displaced in Gaza. We we heard about the, the number of millions who were uh, displaced either within or outside of Ukraine. But I note on, on uh, something that uh, you folks provided that there's an area called the Central Sahel uh, in Africa, <laughs> uh, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger, I hadn't even heard about this crisis, you know, I, but it's, you know, the worsening conflict and violence has pushed nearly 3 million people out of their homes in search of safety. How does Catholic Relief Services respond in areas like that? And how can you bring attention to this to the rest of the world? I know. I'm so, thank you so much. This could not be more silent of an emergency in terms of it being completely off the grid. And it is so severe because it is crossing boundaries and has millions of people involved in terms of moving from place to place. So in the central Sahel, you have a co compound effect of both drought that has ravaged the region, um, but then also conflict that has pushed people into other areas as refugees or internally displaced across those three countries that you just mentioned, Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso. And so in all of those countries, CRS has been working for many years, usually on development programs and different types of programming, and now ramping up an emergency response. So we have a majority of our staff who are from these countries. They are mobilized to these areas where people are moving and we're providing a range of assistance in displaced settlements where people have gathered that includes food, shelter, uh, areas of like hygiene, water and sanitation, um, protection for the most vulnerable, like children and women who might be traveling on their own. It's a range of assistance, but the scale is so massive and the need for response at a global level is so significant. And the global church has been doing actually a lot around this issue. Um, there's the Sahel Peace Initiative that bishops across the region are raising as an issue to use their voices, even at the levels of the Vatican, to call attention to this issue and attention leads to support to them meet these massive humanitarian needs. Um, but it's so scary when you are in a place that is so isolated from attention um, because I mean, we can imagine just this in our personal lives, if something bad is happening to us and no one knows about it, it's a really scary thing. And it's this huge humanitarian perilous conditions facing millions of people. 
And there's not this attention. There's this fear that no one is knowing what's happening to these families. And so that attention is so significant. And we're trying to raise this issue, you know, at this time of year to call attention to it, but also to raise it at levels of advocacy so that there can be significant change, not only to the, meet the immediate needs, but to actually hopefully have an effect on peace. Yeah. Well, we have just a, a little bit of time left. The next question obviously is, how can people help? Well, um, a little goes a long way. So that's what I'll say outright, because some of these issues can seem so big as an individual, you can think, well, how can I make a difference on these huge intractable issues in some cases? But I can assure you, and I know you, you've done so much travel as well, that a little bit makes such a huge difference. Like even if it's, you know, a donation that allows for a blanket to be given to a family in the cold and they have food to provide their children that night, it's huge. Um, and so we have different ways that people can engage and support. Um, donations are one way, crs.org, crs.org, our website. Um, you can make donations uh, to areas of greatest need, or you can look at the areas where we have identified if you want to target your donation to a, a location that we consider a priority issue. Um, you can also call 1-877-HELP-CRS, 1-877-HELP-CRS, to talk with someone, ask some questions, make a donation. And then advocacy, if you want to get engaged, maybe it's not the right time for a donation, but you want to be involved. Also on our website, crs.org, you can get engaged on issues we're raising at the policy levels. And um, there's great impact. I don't want it to feel hopeless. You know, there have been some really amazing good stories this year uh, that we've seen from around the world because of people's engagement and involvement. Um, and it really makes a difference in people's lives. And we're seeing that uh, in many areas from the Ukraine to the Philippines. There's been really remarkable um, uh, progress this past year because of people's support around the world. That's great. Firsthand, I've seen the impact that Catholic Relief Services has uh, in some of these countries. Catholic Relief Services is the U.S. bishops uh, overseas aid and development. The development is key agency that, that kind of helps uh, people, uh, especially dealing with poverty and crises. We have been talking today with Caroline Brennan, who works with the emergency communications team for CRS. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing what CRS is doing. Thank you so much for all of your support. It's been great to talk with you this morning. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you have been listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archbishop William E. Laurie celebrates Holy Mass at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception and honors the Little Sisters of the Poor at Guadalupe Radio Network's Fishers of Men Benefit Dinner, April 27th. Radio host Debbie Giorgiani keynotes the evening at Catholic University of America. The Little Sisters' tireless work with the elderly, heroic witness to women discerning vocations and standing up for religious freedom are why they're being recognized. At grnonline.com, learn more. Catholic Review Media is a proud sponsor of Guadalupe radio network tune in to catholic review radio next week available on wmet 1160 a.m and 103.1 fm also wsjf 92.7 fm in the sykesville area and wvto 92.7 fm in baltimore city check us out on soundcloud or your favorite podcast app thank you for joining us for this edition of catholic review radio as we prepare for the week ahead let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.